0: It's October 5th, I'm Ezra Levan, and you're watching Battleground. Oh, hey everybody, great to be here. I think I was away last week, if memory serves, I was in London for Tommy's, what, fourth court appearance? I'm referring, of course, to Tommy Robinson, a former employee of the Rebel, a friend of the Rebel, even though he's no longer working for us, and of course, he's the center of much news not just in the United Kingdom, but around the world, because he has been targeted so clearly by the United Kingdom establishment, the five P-professionals, as Daniel Pipes calls them, the press, the politicians, the police, the prosecutors, the professors, because he says things he shouldn't say. He wants to debate things that are supposedly off limits for debate, most expressly the Islamification of the United Kingdom and what it means in policing and crime, including the particular species of crime of Muslim rape gangs. And it's shocking to say those three words, Muslim rape gangs, rape is a shocking word, a rape gang is even more shocking. And to add the adjective Muslim, you can see why those three words are so terrifying and paralyzing, but unfortunately it is a fact. They are overwhelmingly Pakistani men And the victims are overwhelmingly indigenous white British girls, working class. (coughs) This is not my opinion, it is a fact. And it is one reiterated by Muslim spokesmen in the UK, such as Majid Nawaz, who points out that the mainstream media has failed to report this because they're too politically correct. So it has fallen to the Tommy Robinsons of the world. In fact, the prosecutor of the Rotherham rape gangs himself is a Pakistani, a, a, a Muslim Brit of Pakistani background who says the same thing. I think they obviously appointed the prosecutor to prosecute the Pakistani Muslim rape gangs. They obviously appointed a Pakistani Muslim Brit because no one else would be politically correct to get away with it. So that's where I was last week. The hearing, if I recall, was on a Thursday, but I spent uh, Friday morning, I had a uh, breakfast meeting with Tommy up in Luton, so I didn't fly home until that afternoon. So as usual, my friends, David Menzies and Sheila gunn Reid took over the show, and I'm glad they did. Um, the reason I mention that is to explain where I was last week. And I will be returning to the United Kingdom because I regret that the four times I've flown over there so far does not yet spell the end of Tommy's legal odyssey. In fact, it is starting anew, as you will recall. The Court of Appeal, uh, no one less than the Lord Chief Justice himself, has quashed Tommy's first conviction for contempt of court, but sent him back for a retrial. That was supposed to happen on September 27th. It did not. It's now tentatively scheduled for October 23rd. I will be there. It has not yet been firmed up, so we should have confirmation, maybe as soon as today. As soon as it is locked in, I will let you know. Uh, One of the things that I... I'm going to talk about other things. I'm going to talk about that feminist attack with bleach. I'm going to talk about ISIS in Greece. I got four video clips here for you. But I do want to talk about, uh, Tommy, just for one more minute, because it's on my mind. I want to show the Real Reporters website (coughs) in a second. When I was in London at the Old Bailey, which is the nickname, the customary name for the Central Criminal Courts, it's a gorgeous building. These courts in the UK, beautiful. They, they, the interiors of them look like museums. The archways and the art. It actually, it actually for one second reminded me of the Sistine Chapel. I know you're thinking, Ezra, that's crazy. Don't, don't, make, don't ever compare anything else to the Sistine Chapel. It's the finest room in the world. I'm not saying it was of that level, but it, it made me think of it. It made me think of certain rooms in the Louvre it was so gorgeous, the old Bailey. And even in the, the uh, Royal Courts of Justice, where the Court of Appeal met, was an exquisite building. The old Bailey, besides its exquisite and ornate art, has a dungeon in it. So it's not just a, a place of beauty. It's a place of sorrow and hatred. It is where the most serious crimes in the United Kingdom are prosecuted. While I was there, for Tommy's hearing, one of the Westminster terrorists was on trial. Same day, same building. That's what they... If it's, it's the kind of court that you would try Jack the Ripper in. That's the heavy crimes. It's the most serious crimes in London, which means the most serious crimes in the UK. Murder, poisoning, terrorism, massive conspiracies. And in the midst of this, a civil contempt matter, because Tommy was chatting on a YouTube live stream... Facebook live stream? Are you kidding me? Doesn't that seem ajar? Doesn't that seem incongruous? Why, yes, it does. But everything about this is incongruous, isn't it? Tommy served 10 weeks in solitary confinement for the same thing. That's incongruous. The police and state resources dedicated to tackling Tommy rather than the British uh, Muslim rape gangs is incongruous. There's a lot that's incongruous, and one of the greatest incongruities is that the media in the United Kingdom, which is generally quite vigorous, <clears throat> I would say that the, com- the the English language newspapers in London are probably the most competitive newspaper market in the world. M- certainly more so than New York City. In New York City, you got the New York Post and the Daily News duking it out, the two tabloids. You got the Wall Street Journal and the New York Times, the the, the prestigious. Broadsheets. And that's about it. You got other newspapers true, but you really, I think, have four big papers in that town, right? And the Daily News was just gutted recently, by the way. In London. Oh, I can't even list them all. And The Guardian, it's used to be called the Manchester Guardian. You got the Independent. You got the Daily Mail. You got the Daily Star. You got the Times. You got the Telegraph. You got the the Sun. You got the Mirror. It is the most vigorous newspaper market in the world. Very competitive. As Boris Johnson, who is a journalist, uh, was a journalist and was the Mayor of London, is an MP, may yet be Prime Minister. I read a wonderful essay by him. I don't seek to find it right now, where he defended what he called the gutter press. I am going to seek to find it right now. Boris Johnson gutter press. I'm just Googling that right now. Yeah, yeah, here we go. Fellas, I'm going to send you this. If you just Google Boris Johnson gutter press, it's the first thing that comes up. Can you put the link on the, uh, can you put the the image up in the link there? It's a great line. Boris Johnson said, we need a gutter press to keep the gutters clean. Isn't that? An interest, there it is, yeah. Only a gutter press can keep clean the gutters of public life. Legislation to control newspapers threatens our global reputation for honest dealing. Can you scroll down a little bit? <clears throat> yeah, you see this by Boris? I remember that. It's five years ago he wrote that. It stuck in my mind. That line stuck in my mind till this moment. It's a great defense of tabloids. Scroll down a little bit more. Scroll down a little bit more. yeah, I'm, I, I haven't looked at this in five years, but it's all coming back, scroll down, keep scrolling, keep scrolling. Yeah, look at this. <clears throat> you cannot hope to win a contract in London by sending some public official a Rolex or a midnight pool de Luxe, And that is because that official would be too amazed to accept, too honorable, or is, um, to accept, and above all, too terrified to accept British business and British politics and the nexus between business and politics have been kept cleaner than in virtually all other countries because for centuries we have had a free press and he he talks about how the press snooping for scandal I mean let me read the paragraph at the bottom of the screen right now Of course, not every business person or investor may personally relish the exuberance and ferocity of the British media. They may not enjoy reading about their salaries, yachts, and subterranean swimming pools, but they also know or should rationally accept that it is the very boldness of the British press and it's refusal to be bullied or cowed that makes those deals risk-free and helps them create the wealth they enjoy. All right, I'm done with that. Thank you for finding it so quickly. Boris Johnson, very thoughtful sometimes, explained why a gutter press and a tabloid press is important. It scares people straight, don't it? So I ask you, this competitive press, this vigorous press, this Fleet Street press, this tabloid press, this gutter press, where the hell is it with Tommy Robinson? Tommy Robinson, a working-class bloke, you would think that at least the working-class newspapers would be by his side, the newspapers that claim to be for the working-class bloke. It's a very classist society. But what I saw when I was London, and I'm almost on this point, What I saw when I was in London on Thursday, it was a 19 minute hearing, it was a procedural case management hearing. But in those 19 minutes, I saw that there were eight other journalists in the court besides myself. BBC, I think Sky News was there, Uh, The Independent was there. And we left court after 19 minutes and we went into this beautiful ornate hallway and uh, Tommy held court, he had a briefing the reporters had their microphones out. Tommy explained his case, probably for 10 minutes. Took a few questions, did his best. He did not show a temper, he was not uh, rude or angry in any ways, he was more earnest. He was almost professorial, he was explanatory. And then, to my surprise, he gave out his personal cell phone number to all eight journalists there. And he just said it, and then he said it a second time. I was surprised by that, I suppose. And then I watched as those eight journalists marched outside and stuck a knife in them and lied about what, he sa- what happened in court. Lied. Minutes. In fact, as soon as Tommy was done, that little scrum, I walked with Tommy to the, to the cafeteria of the court, the canteen as they called it in Britain. And we sat down there, and his lawyers were there, and, and police and court police were there. Was, remember, there was a huge crowd outside. So by the time it took us to walk from that scrum outside the courtroom to the canteen. What's that, five minutes? We were in the same building. They were already lying about what had been said in the court. The minute we got in the, in the cafeteria, Tommy was showing me on social media how they had lied about what had been said in the court minutes earlier. So this vigorous press, so praised by Boris Johnson, keeping the gutters of life clean, Holding the powerful to account. They were in collusion with each other, those eight reporters. They were against Tommy. They faked to him that they were open-minded, that they were there as reporters. They were there to stick the knife in. They were just as antagonistic as any prosecutor, as any policeman. And so the lesson I took from that was, well, i got to keep going back, first of all. Because even, even this 19 minute hearing and my tweets that day, I forget, I think I got three million views on my tweets and uh, videos that day, three million. And on this court hearing I had, uh, the Court of Appeal, I had 5.7 million if memory serves. So I'm flying in from Canada, we got a 19 minute hearing and my tweets are getting three million plus views. Why? Am I a scintillating writer? No, that ain't why. It's because people know that the eight liars there are not telling the truth about Tommy. So how are you gonna fix that problem? I'm going back, when, whether it's October 23rd or whatever. <coughs> um, how are you gonna fix that problem? Eight against one. And it's not just eight nobodies. These people include, for example, example the state broadcaster over there, the BBC, the British Broadcasting Corporation, one of the best-funded state broadcasters in the world. Really, the envy of Al Jazeera and Vladimir Putin's RT. And Al Jazeera, of course, is the state broadcaster of the OPEC dictatorship of Qatar. They could only dream of having the power and the resources and the reach and the influence of the BBC. So you've got the massive BBC state broadcaster. They're probably the most powerful state broadcaster in the world after the uh, Chinese Xinhua. You've got all these tabloids, right and left, they're all against Tommy. So how are you gonna fight that? How are you gonna fight that? Well, you set up a page like I did after consultation with Tommy called realreporters.uk. If you wanna put that on the screen, feel free, fellas. Um, Realreporters.uk, it's very simple, I'll read it. Help crowdfund Real Reporters for Tommy Robinson's trial. I talk about the Sky News stitch up. I said when Sky News interviewed Tommy Robinson, they edited the videotape unethically to make it look like he said something he didn't say. And then they put their lie, their fake news, right in their headline. And then I say, well, here's my plan. We're going to crowdfund the cost to fly in real reporters from other countries to the old Bailey to do a proper job of journalism. We'll pay for Economy Class Air for, rep- for reporters to come to London for Tommy's Trial. We'll pay for a three-star hotel. We'll pay for the cabs. And we'll give them 100 pounds for incidentals. And in return, all they have to do is come to Tommy's Trial and report on it. So far, four journalists have agreed to come with me. I list them. They're each from different cities, different media, even different languages. But they all have one thing in common. They tell the truth. When Tommy goes back to court, each of these real reporters will be there as a counterweight to the BBC and the Guardian and Sky News, who just lie about Tommy. Please help cover their economy class travel by donating below. And <clears throat> I am pleased to say that this has been well received. And uh, as it will not surprise you to learn, other journalists have contacted me and say, hey, can I get a piece of that? To which I say, okay, do you have a real audience? I I mean, with all respect to folks with a tiny blog, the the point here is to spread the word as far and wide as possible. There's one nice fellow who approached me from South Africa. He said, I'm an up and comer on YouTube. uh, And he sent me the link to his, he's got four videos and they have a few hundred views each. Seems like a really good guy, but I'm sorry, I just don't think that meets the pragmatic test of flying someone in all the way from South Africa, which is gonna be extremely expensive to broadcast to his audience of hundreds and it's no disrespect what we're talking about here is spreading the word the four people who were coming have audiences of hundreds of thousands or even millions Uh, I hope I'm not breaching confidences it's surely not a confidence but I'm delighted to say that both Tommy and I have been talking to an Australian named Avi Yamini who's been a very strong supporter of Tommy's so those of you in Australia know this and um, I've been going back and forth. It's hard because of the time zones. But Abby Yamini wants to come all the way from Australia. Now, that's a very long flight, as you know. Maybe you don't know. But I believe he has a sufficient audience. And I know he cares about Tommy and telling the truth about Tommy. So I, ha- I haven't confirmed things with Abby, but I've had a little bit of a back and forth with him. I don't think I'm telling tales out of school to say so. And, um, it's my goal to bring Avi Yamini up from Australia. Wouldn't that be something? There's a lot of Tommy fans in Australia, I can tell you that. If there are other people, I've, I haven't had a chance to go through all my emails, all my emails, but uh, there may be other journals. I've reached out to a journalist in Italy who I think might be interested. So we have four confirmed right now. If we confirm Avi, that's five. Obviously, I'm going. That's six. I'd love to get one or two other journalists. Wouldn't it be fun? I don't know if Gavin McInnes can come back again, I don't know. He rolls, he 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 doesn't travel light. Um, Wouldn't it be great, I said there were eight other journalists there. Wouldn't it be great if we had eight journalists there? Do you see what I'm saying? And what I've made crystal clear to these other journalists is there's no strings attached. I'm not looking to review their work. I'm not going to tell them what to say. If they have questions for me, obviously I'll talk their ear off. Will I help them arrange a private sit-down with Tommy if they want an interview? Absolutely, that's the whole point here. But I'm not going to be staring over their shoulder. I'm not going to be saying, oh, let me see what you've... No, 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 no. So, for example, Cassandra Fairbanks, who writes for Gateway Pundit, she covers their Washington, D.C. She's in Capitol Hill. She's very good at this sort of thing. She knows. She needs no advice on how to be a journalist. And she's good at covering these kind of... Stitch-ups, right? I mean, she's a little bit uh, taken with Julian Assange, more so than I am, of course. But she's used to covering, quote, enemies of the state. I think she'll do excellent work. So Cassandra's coming, these other journalists are coming. So just, I want you to understand what the deal is. And it's important that you do, and it's important that the whole world understands. This is not a pay-for-play where they're getting cash to write a certain angle about Tommy. I will not see what they write until it's published publicly. I will have no editorial control or oversight whatsoever. They will continue to report to their own bosses. They receive no fee for this. All we're doing is taking care of the expense of the travel, economy class airfare, uh, transfer from the airport, probably a cab, uh, three star hotel, not a four star, not a five star, you know, Holiday Inn type thing, and a hundred pounds, what I call incidentals, you know. Step into a Tesco Express, get one of those British sarnies. Um, I'll probably have so much fun, I'll, I'll take people out for dinner, but that's, that's it'll probably just happen spontaneously. Maybe we'll just go to a pub or something. So this is not come and write something nice about Tommy. I think that will happen because Tommy's case is very compelling. This is just please come and write about Tommy, full stop because we need real reporters in there doing real journalism, not the anti-Tommy propaganda that the eight incumbent legacy media have done. What do you think of that? Tommy's excited by it. In fact, he's the one who suggested Avi Yemini to me. Uh, I'm open to more suggestions. In fact, um, I should uh, should look in, these comments in case there's more suggestions. By the way, it's 12.19 and I haven't done anything I was setting out to do in this hour. But let me tell you what things, uh, how this works here on, uh, this is called YouTube uh, Super Chat. As you can see, and I'm sorry, have I missed any Super Chats? No, there's none yet, (coughs) maybe because I didn't mention it. Uh, A Super Chat is you can make your comment uh, in a bright highlighted color by kicking in a few bucks or pounds or lira or whatever your currency is, pesos. And if you have a certain amount, I don't know if it's like five bucks or something, it's appended to the top of that little box there for all to see. I saw someone chip in $50 once, I think, and that was up there for like half an hour. So the, lo- the more you chip in, the, more, the longer it's appended up there, which is pretty cool. And the reason it's great is because I think we get 70% of that dose, so it's a form of crowdfunding really and more to the point if you want me to read your comment or statement out loud that will be yeah as as nobody said it's like normal chat but super absolutely um Matt Turner Ezra London needs a free newspaper the metro and evening standard is distributed to millions of tube commuters every day of the week yeah there is something to be said about free newspapers but I gotta tell you um, and I say this not only from my own eyeball observation, but by seeing the analytics on our YouTube videos, everyone in the UK is reading everything on their smartphones. If they're on the tube, if they get reception, if, they, uh, if they're on them double-decker buses, if they're just booting around, every, that is a smartphone culture. I think they're even more into their phones than Americans and Canadians, if that's even possible. But that's, uh, that's what I sense. <clears throat> Let me read some more comments. There's no Super Chats. Uh, Lauren Southern spelt the masculine way, says Gavin is too prickly. Yeah, well, you know, I mean, you can detect that because the name of his show on CRTV is Get Off My Lawn. <laughs> I think he fancies himself um, a young uh, Clint Eastwood in Gran Torino. Don't get off my lawn. <laughs> yeah, he's a little prickly. Uh, I see Alex 0393 says, I'd have left the country by now. He really loves his country. Well, that's the thing. I mean, Tommy um, leaves the country all the time. He goes to Italy. He goes to Germany. He goes to Austria. He goes to Poland. um, He goes to Spain. But he doesn't want to flee. He's not fleeing. He's a Brit. It's in his blood. You can't take Tommy out of Britain. From Prussia with Love chips in 299 and says, should dual citizens banned from our government now I don't know what country you're in um, because uh, in Canada there is no rule against dual citizenship in fact uh, a great number of MPs have more than one citizenship I know that in Australia this has caused a constitutional crisis because it is prohibited down under Um, I would like to think that if you want to govern and rule in a country, you ought to have no other loyalties but to that one country. And you would think that, well, what if it's another friendly country? I mean, what are the two closest countries in the world? Canada and the United States. How could that possibly be at odds? They would never go to war. Well, they could go to a trade war. And I suppose it depends what you think the obligations of citizenship are. If you think it's just a way to fly around, or an ID card, then it means nothing to you. But if you believe that being a citizen comes with not only rights, but some sort of duties, mainly a duty of loyalty, emotional and patriotic loyalty, then how can you be loyal to two people? It would be like being a bigamist or a polygamist. How can you be loyal to more than one? So I suppose my answer is I don't really think, I haven't thought a lot about it, but I don't, I don't see it. I don't, I don't see it as natural be a citizen of more than one country in government. I'm not saying it should be banned, I'm not saying it should be illegal to be a dual citizen. I don't think I would go that far, but certainly if you want to govern Canada, be a Canadian. If you want to govern America, be be an American. As you know, America requires its presidents to be naturally born in America. You have to be born there. I think that's a pretty obvious uh, point, don't you? All right, it's it's 1224. I invite, oh, there we go, Ingrid K. Warner has a super chat for five bucks. Your thoughts about Faith being censored by the mainstream media? I know you think she's a meme candidate, but don't you think she should have a platform to speak? Um, (coughs) There's some very interesting points there, Ingrid. Um, The first is, I think that if you are hosting a forum, a debate for mayor, if you're a private organization, you should be able to invite who you like, especially if there's thirty odd candidates. If it's your private property, your private club, invite whoever you want. But I think you have some sort of a moral obligation—not eh, moral, but if you're not a, if you're not inviting the the leading candidates, then then you're not really a forum, are you? And it is a fact that faith has polled third. And if. Uh, if you don't want to have her, then explain why. Then explain why. If there are any forums that have a public or quasi-public nature to them, I think they ought to be open to anyone who's a legitimate candidate. And if, if not, uh, what privileges or powers or rights or benefits do you get by being a public or quasi-public institution? There may even be some laws that touch on that. For example, I saw that Faith tried to buy some radio ads and they were declined. There may be some laws governing political expenditures because you could imagine if you owned a newspaper or a radio station and in a campaign, if you just banned ads from a candidate you opposed, you could sink a democracy. I think there are some laws or regulations in Canada, especially with regards to electronic media that are, that are governed by a lot of regulations in Canada. So those are my answers to your questions about should she have a platform to speak. I would say if someone in private property in a private organization, a private club wants to have their own forum, I think that's fine. I think it might lack credibility if they don't invite leading candidates. If there is some public or quasi-public institution, or an institution that's regulated by law, which I think our radio and TV are in this respect, then I think they ought to take ads from anyone unless that ad in some other way breaks the laws. Keith McIntosh says, old news perhaps, but just found out about the cancellation of the year of Anything else in the works? Yeah, we were deplatformed. I, you know, we have other, we always have something on the go, I mean, uh, you say anything else in the works? Just yesterday, actually, we announced. Can we put the link up to therebellive.com? We announced, uh, announced a terrestrial get-together next month in Calgary, Alberta. I don't know where you're from, Keith McIntosh, so I don't know what province, state, city, country you're in, but anyone in Calgary. Uh, go to therebellive.com. Scroll down a bit there. We can show uh, who some of the speakers are. Uh, I think it's a little bit further down. Yeah, there we go. There's my chubby cheeks right there in the middle. To my left there is Maxine Bernie. to my right, Sheila Gunn-Reed, Brad Trost. Look at that, Lindsay Shepard. She's great. Uh, John Carbet, the Justin... Anyway, we got a lot, we got a lot of folks coming. we got a lot of folks coming. Robbie Picard, oil sands activist, Scott Winograd, business activist. Uh, oh, yeah, Lee Humphrey. How could, how could I forget? He's a great conservative veterans activist. So we got some good stuff coming, and we are working on uh, other things. I mean, as you may have heard, in June and July, we took a mission to Israel, which was very interesting. Um, I want to go to Hungary. And what I mean go to, I I don't mean a vacation. I'm not a vacationer, to tell you the truth. I mean a mission, like a fact-finding mission, a journalistic mission, but to take enthusiastic rebels with us. I may give you an example of what I mean. <clears throat> Last year we went to Iraq, I think there were six of us, and we made a documentary and we filmed and we did journalism. But what happens if there was a superfan rebel who said, I want to come? Alright, I mean Iraq might be a bad example because of security issues, but for our Israel trip I think we had 61 people who were superfans who said, well I'll pay five grand or whatever to come to Israel and tootle around with you guys. So we had the fact-finding briefing for the journalists, but we also it was a great time for our most enthusiastic rebels. That's obviously going to be a lot more expensive, going to Israel, going to Europe, whatever, than a one-day conference in Calgary. But we, we will continue to do events. We love events. And people seem to like them, too. All right. I think, uh, have I caught up with all the... Oh, I think uh, there's one more super chat. I've got to figure out how to... All righty. Top chat, live chat. Here we go. I'm just... Oh, here we go. Fraser McBurney. Thanks, sorry. It took me a second to to find that. Uh, The Media Party, Fake News, CBC, CTV, Global, McLean, Toronto Star, and Politician. Did it arrive? I don't understand what you mean by did it arrive. Um, But yeah, that is is what I... (coughs) That's what I call the media party. Okay, it's 1230. We We've spent half our time me kibitzing about the UK and then going to some comments, but I actually have brought some videos with me today. I'm gonna try and get through them. I got four videos here. Um, Let's take care of the last one from London. When I was in London, I, I, I went into the court, 19 minutes, talked to Tommy, went outside, did a lot of videos from the street, If you want to see my videos, they're all up on TommyTrial.com. And so I was there with our cameraman, Ed, and Gavin was there and his cameraman, Stuart. And um, we sat down at a pub. Jason PI says, thank you, Ezra, for doing what you're doing. Hey, thank you for an amazing super chat contribution, Jason. So we're sitting in this pub right there on the street. Uploading our our video because because our cameramen record like all these megabytes of video footage. But we got to upload them from their cameras to our world headquarters here in Canada to be edited and uploaded. Right. Just filming. So so we're so we're in the pub and Ed and Stuart are uploading and I'm obviously snacking. I had just arrived that morning. Gavin's there. And uh, we're there for about an hour. And Gavin says, oh, my God, look at that. Look at that. Look at that. And he says, he points to a guy outside on the street, he says, that's a jihadi. That's a terrorist or something. He didn't say terrorist, he said something like it. And I said, what do you mean? And he pointed out that fella to me. And, um, And it's true because I had earlier, when I was, I told you when I was in the canteen, when I was in the cafeteria, I heard some cops talking about, they had intel that a jihadist was coming. I didn't mention that to you. When I was in the cafeteria, there was a ton of cops with us <clears throat> for our own protection, by the way. And there was like 1,500 Tommy fans outside. So we were up there in the cafeteria. There was probably three cops and three poli- court police. It felt good. Felt safe. Head of security for the court was there. And I overheard them talking about some jihadi. All right. I thought, well, I'm glad they know. So I guess this was the guy. Say, there he is. There he is. I said, well, look, there's so many cops here. I'm not afraid. Maybe I should be. Maybe I'm stupid. And I got Ed, our cameraman, and he was uploading stuff. But, you know, I said, well, let's go and and talk to him. And I just, I said, well, how do you know he's a jihadi? And Gavin showed me a story about him in, in one of these newspapers, The Independent. And he was on some TV show about jihadists. I thought, all right, well, that's enough for me. Let's just go up and talk to him. So I did. And uh, it's about a 15-minute interview, and I encourage you to watch the whole thing on TommyTrial.com. But I thought I'd share it with you in case you missed it. Alex, can we play all, I don't know, maybe two minutes uh, of my interview with a jihadi real name, Ricardo McFarlane. But he, of course, has taken a jihadi name. Take a listen. My name's Ezra Levant from the Rebel.media right. in Canada. What's your name? Hakim. Um, Do you also go by the name Ricardo McFarlane? That used to be your name?
1: I'm al-Hakim. that's my name.
0: And can I ask what brought you here today? Were you here for the Tommy Robinson event? You know what, so it starts that way. Can you guys fast forward to when I ask him about what his punishment for Tommy would be? I ask him, and that's about two thirds or three quarters of the way through. I say, what do you think should be done to Tommy? And he says, well, the Sharia punishment for blasphemy, and I said, What's that? And, and, he, and here,
1: you. you know what? Yeah, I put my hands up. That's why I want to debate Tom Robinson. If he puts his hand up and says, No, I was wrong about this, you know, or even if he had an intellectual debate with a, a knowledgeable Muslim, okay, on the certain things he's saying, then alhamdulillah, like, you know, that's fine. Um, See, what he's saying is very provocative. And it's very disingenuous.
0: Can I ask you a few quick questions, then I'm going to get out of you. You've been very generous with your time, and I know there's other folks who want to talk to you. Just some quick snappers. Do you think that that someone who is uh, a homosexual should be allowed to be a teacher in a school? Say that again, sir? Do you think that someone who is gay, uh, who's a homosexual, should they be allowed to be a teacher in a school in the UK? I don't
1: think it makes sense. Homosexuality doesn't make sense. If, so, if someone, I so don't sense? think they should be. But I don't think there's a no such thing as homosexuality. Well, the, well, the gay people mean, think there is. there is. Let me speak. Well, here. I, but I'm not asking about the deeper theory. I want a quick answer. No, should they be one, allowed to teach? It's important though because there's a belief that says that you're born gay, and I don't believe
0: that makes okay. sense. Okay. Let me. Sense. Next question. Should it be against the law to criticize Muhammad? Say again. Should it be against the law yeah. to criticize Muhammad? Like to draw a cartoon of him.
1: Well, that's against the law, in Islam, yeah.
0: And is it, is it acceptable yeah. to commit violence against someone who makes a cartoon of...
1: Question. Are, you be- interested in, are you interested in the foundations of the Sharia?
0: I want to I understand who you are because I was told you're a jihadist and I want to know the truth.
1: Yeah. Do, you, do, you, do you accept the foundation?
0: It went on for quite a while. He was very evasive. But he did confirm for me that he thought the death penalty was the appropriate sanction for anyone who mocked Islam. He thought that Tommy was guilty of blasphemy, and so the death penalty should apply. I asked him if he thought gays should be allowed to be teachers, which is an interesting question, I thought. He wouldn't answer it. He said, there's no such thing as gay. (laughs) I said, if someone told you they were going to join ISIS and become a terrorist, would you report them to the police? He said, no, I would not. I asked him if that ever happened, if anyone told him he went to join a terrorist group, he he wouldn't tell me. It was interesting. Uh, He was a slippery fish, he was evasive, he was vague, but uh, as you could see there from when I introduced myself to him at first to 10 minutes in, uh, uh, quite a crowd had gathered. They were hostile to him, obviously. They were chanting and arguing. I said, hush, hush, let me try and extract some answers from him. You can have at him later. It was an interesting coda to my day there and a reminder that though we had seen... um, Hundreds, I think 1,500 Tommy supporters. There were also people who would kill Tommy if they could. Kill him if they could. That's why we had the police. Uh, Fraser example, Bernie uh, says, it was a shirt. Alan Ansell said, how do you like the flag? If you're talking about the rebel flag, I loved it. Thank you very much. Um... The phrase, I'm sorry, I just don't quite understand what you mean, and forgive me. Um, I just don't understand what you mean. But thank you for your super chat anyways. Okay, let's check the time. It's 12.37. What are we doing? It's called super chat. I have some video clips I want to show. I kibitz with you real time, tell you about the week. I look at some chat. I try and read all the ones that are super chats, because those help pay our bills. Thank you for that. I showed you the jihadi. Um, let's do one more on the jihad theme. I want to play two minutes from, is this from Deutsche Welle, which is a German broadcaster, a friend of ours, uh, translated uh, it into English. This is about, as you know, Greece is in the Mediterranean, uh, and obviously a lot of the migrants coming both from Syria and Iraq and from North Africa, wind up in Greece. Either they go there by boat, Or the European Union dumps them there. But the island of Lesbos, once a tourist destination, is now basically a squalid refugee camp. But that's not all it is, because who runs the refugee camp? Well, look, it's not just lambs in the refugee camp. It's wolves as well. No one is sorting the lambs from the wolves when these folks come over from terrorist places. So, well, I'll let you watch for yourself. Here's two minutes from Deutsche Welle. Eins
2: scheint klar, ihre Methoden sind brutal. Wenn sie jemanden angreifen, dann tun sie es zu zwanzigst. Sie benutzen Eisenstangen und schlagen gnadenlos zu. Dabei rufen sie dieselben Parolen wie der IS. Sie sagen, Gott ist groß und der IS wird überleben und sich ausbreiten.
0: That's fair enough. You know, you get the point. You get the point. Is that ISIS may be stomped out in Syria, thanks to Donald Trump and Vladimir Putin, but ISIS is alive and well on the Isle of Lesbos in the refugee camps, and that is not surprising to me. It may be surprising to you. But um, when I was in Germany a couple years back, I met people who had fled... uh, Syria and Iraq to go to Germany, and then once in Germany, they had fled uh, the German refugee absorption centers because they were run by ISIS. Anyone who is not Muslim must obviously flee, and anyone who is a moderate Muslim, let's call them a lamb, is devoured by the wolves. And you heard there that in this refugee camp in Greece, they attack in packs. It's, It's run by the terrorists. And by the way, you can't even get into a refugee camp, usually, if you're not Muslim. When I was uh, in Iraq, I saw with my own eyes refugee camps of forgotten refugees, Christians and Yazidis, who would either be kept out of the UN refugee camps by UN officials, or they knew better than to go in because they would be killed there. Um, fellas, have I missed any uh, super chats? All right, I want to shift gears. Um, let's check the time. It's 12.40. We've got a few minutes. Um, <coughs> I saw a, a little TV ad today. I don't know if it's actually going to air, but I like this ad. I liked it. It's, it's, uh, I'm shifting gears now. I'm talking about other things. we talked enough about Tommy and she had that can't be the only thing we talk about. Um, the nomination and ratification of Brett Kavanaugh to the Supreme Court of the United States has been very interesting. Uh, in my view, every single allegation against him has ev- evaporated and evanesced. Look that word up for you, evanesce. You've probably heard of the band Evanescence. It's faded away like, uh, like vapor. But the damage is done, isn't it? Take a look at this very touching video called Mums Support Kavanaugh.
2: Of this charge. You must always believe the women. Refuted by the people allegedly there. I may never be able to teach again. Totally and permanently destroyed.
0: Yeah, what do you think of that? I think that's exactly right. I saw a poll yesterday. Well, Donald Trump himself tweeted it, that's how he saw it. Trump's at 50%, he's back up at 50%. A little bit of wind in the sales, and the Republicans, how did that happen? We've just had a disastrous two, three weeks of absolute smears against Brett Kavanaugh. So how could the Republicans be up? Well, because although the alt left and the Soros left and the media party left and the Feinstein left loved the smear, I think the rest of America said, whoa, you guys are crazy. You're going through someone's high school yearbook about how many beers he drank in high school? You guys are crazy. And not just crazy, but you're trying to set a new standard. The Me Too movement had a lot of bases, especially liberal Hollywood, full of predators like Harvey Weinstein. But to say that Brett Kavanaugh, who's a Boy Scout, I mean, sure, he had some beers and... in in high school or college to say that to try and demonize them as a gang rapist. That was actually one of the things they said. Just shocking. Um, And I think it's backfired very much. So yeah. Uh, By the way, I just want to say that while Donald Trump hit 50 percent approval in the Rasmussen poll yesterday, I checked and the latest poll for Justin Trudeau is 40 percent. You You wouldn't think so based on the Uh, treatment that each candidate, each uh, leader has in the mainstream media. Hey Alex, I just, uh, it just clicked in what Fraser McBurney was referring to. Can you bring me that white shirt back there? Do You see the white shirt right behind you there? Um, uh, You just come right on over here. I think it just hit me. I think I know exactly. Yeah, thanks. What, uh, Fraser, is this what you mean? The Rebel. (laughs) The Media Party Fake News CTV. I did did get it. So I just didn't understand what you meant at first. So thank you very much for sending that. It was just a bit of a time delay. I did not know what you meant in your super chat. But it was right there. Um, You can't see it from here, but through the glass window in the studio, we got a little makeup. I put TV makeup on, and I got a little rack of clothes there, like shirts and stuff, and it was right there. So yes, I have it, and thank you for that. Um, I want to show you one more video. It's 12.45. Oh, there's a super chat I hear in my ear. Let's take a look. See, primpal08, $5. Thank you. Meanwhile, Keith Ellison accuser came forward right away and has police reports and medical records. Democrats want her to shut up and go away. Mainstream media blackout. You're exactly right. Um, There is an absolute double standard. Um, Saturday Night Live had Matt Damon come on to play brett Kavanaugh, and i gotta say matt damon can be a good actor when he wants to be and i laughed i laughed but i thought holy lord thunder and jesus matt damon matt damon had his own sexual misconduct me too moment what what are you doing well i'll tell you what this was hollywood's way of saying hey matt we know you're a sexual predator, but you can get back in the cool kids club if you come on Saturday Night Live and attack Brett Kavanaugh with everything you got. If you do that, if you take the stain of your own real sexual misconduct and fling it on Brett Kavanaugh falsely, you'll have bought your, your indulgence. You'll be out of purgatory. That's what happened there. The left does not actually care about sexual assault, especially from decades ago, it was so, well, Bill Clinton would be prosecuted, wouldn't he? I got got one more video I want to show you today. I might think of another, you never know. Um, You know, it's hard for conservative YouTube channels like ours that are political commentary to get a million views. Now, I know that the best of the best can get them. I can count them on one hand, Mark Dice, can get a million views. Paul Joseph Watson can get a million views. Steven Crowder can get a million views, obviously Joe Rogan. Um, One of the ways those guys get a million views is they only do one video a day, or in some of those cases, they only do a mm, couple videos a week. We do 10 videos a day. So just the amount of output we have, um, for a number of reasons, we're not gonna have 10 million view videos a day. More to the point, we are under active censorship by YouTube, something they confirmed to us. Um, So we used to be able to get half a million, a million views, not rarely. Um, But it's been harder under the new algorithms. And if we have any key, it really kicked in, by the way, when we went to Iraq. That's when I first noticed it very, very harshly. Anything with the word Trudeau, feminist, or ISIS in it, YouTube says, no, we're not showing that to anyone. Um, Even the Super Chat, we've got 1.05 million subscribers and only half a thousand are are watching. Many people say they don't even get notifications. That's YouTube for you. That's YouTube. What are you going to do? But I want to show you a video that is going to hit 1 million views today. It's by our friend Sheila Gunn-Reed, and it's just a great little video, and it's gone so viral I thought, shoot, you know that doesn't happen to YouTube shuts us down. they demonetize, they do things. I don't know if someone was asleep with the switch, but they've neither demonetized nor uh, suppressed this video. Here take a look.
2: In a lot of those images Dovgauk posts, the trains are mostly empty, so if someone wants to just spread out, like who really cares? Well, that activist cares, but she doesn't care about politeness or trying not to take up too much space when there isn't a lot of space to go around. You can see, there's lots of space to share, enough for everybody. Dov Galyuk's attacking these men who are very clearly depicted as minding their own business because they aren't keeping their legs in a way she and her feminist leg police cohorts want them to. It's so weird. This Russian protester, though, she's not exactly known for her good sense, at least amongst the world of reasonable people, late last year, Dovgalyuk protested the fact that upskirting or taking clandestine photos of women from below up their skirts isn't criminalized in Russia. And how did she protest that injustice? Well, she stood in the busy St. Petersburg subway station and lifted her skirt and flashed her underpants for hundreds of people to see to protest upskirting. Yeah, that'll teach those horny upskirting bastards, won't it? Anyway, back to the alleged bleach assaults. And that's really what they are if they indeed happened. They are assaults. You can't just go around pouring things on other people you don't like. And by the female attackers- only
0: Anyway, so you could see, maybe you can see why it got a lot of views, but it's about this so-called feminist activist who just goes, to, I don't know if you caught it, she, this feminist activist in, in Moscow just walks up to guys on the subway and pours bleach on their crotches. Uh, now there's some question as to whether or not that's, that's real or if it's like a hoax or a setup, but what Sheila points out is it is very real that feminists are cheering what she did, whether or not it's a real video or of her pouring acid on people or not, or bleach on them. Um, the reaction is, you go girl! Yeah, you pour, out, you pour bleach on those guys. Woo, right on. And she makes a very compelling point. Uh, imagine if the roles were reversed, if it was guys pouring bleach on women in a sexual way or something. But uh, I just wanted to share that video with you. If you haven't uh, seen it, you can find it elsewhere on our YouTube page. It's going to hit a million today. I just thought it was a good video. It was very well done by Sheila. And um, I can see why it's getting a million views. Um, Okay, I see it's 1251. I see another super chat from Blaine Sandberg. I would also like to see some actual footage of what is actually going on on the hotels that house refugees. Well, that is another one of Sheila's beats. Uh, And she has used access to information requests to get information from the government about what these hotels are reporting. Just for those of you who are not from Canada, our Prime Minister, I call him the shiny pony, Justin Trudeau, has decided to stack illegal refugees, they're not, they're not refugees. They're, they're, most of them have just walked across the border from New York State into Canada. He's storing them in hotels, like whole migrant families in hotels. He's turning these hotels into refugees uh, camps, but no one's warning the public. So there might be a few empty rooms in the hotel. Someone books uh, and shows up and they say, where the hell am I? And it's not just uh, a weirdness, it's a danger, it's a risk in a number of ways. And these ways have been documented on TripAdvisor. But two things happened. First of all, Trudeau's staff went on TripAdvisor. They had this scheme to put fake positive reviews <laughs> on TripAdvisor. And then TripAdvisor itself started blocking any critical reviews of hotels that had these refugee camps in it. That's incredible. So, so more must-see TV from, um, from Sheila there I see another super chat from SN who says can the Menzoid make a video regarding Faith Goldie being destroyed by censorship Um, (coughs) well you know uh, my view on Faith Goldie is what I've shared before Uh, we fired her a year ago because she went on an explicitly neo-Nazi podcast um, on the Daily Stormer the name itself is a an allusion to Hitler's uh, propaganda newspaper, the Sturmer. And frankly, the reasons that we fired Faith a year ago persist, and she is not ameliorated, corrected, amended, or repudiated what she did there, or for, frankly, the year afterwards. And while I have expressed myself about half an hour ago that I object to public or quasi-public organizations banning any legitimate candidate for office from attending a forum or from buying ads. That is not the same as me supporting Faith's candidacy, which I do not. Um, I don't feel the need to to weigh in in a heavy manner. Um, I don't think she has a chance of winning. I don't even think she would um, claim she does. Uh, I think the campaign itself has actually been fairly well done. But she has a stinger in her. She's had it in her for a year and she's had this year-long odyssey of things she said in public that are just unacceptable things and you can't just delete some old tweets and pretend that year never happened. Uh, That was not a private, um, you know, detour. That was not a, uh, you know, know, that that was an extremely public bender of racialism if not outright racism And you can't just delete some tweets and pretend it's done and that nobody noticed. Uh, It may be that, you know, very few people actually listen to the Daily Stormer podcast, but I did listen to it. And I, I don't think that until Faith addresses those errors in judgment of the last year, I don't think that she ought to be supported. Now, that's, again, as I said about 45 minutes ago about Tommy Robinson. You don't have to agree with someone, support them, or even like them, to support their free speech. So I would, of course, support Faith's free speech as I would support any Canadian citizen having free speech. And if you meet the test to run for public office, you should be able to run for office. And if there's a public forum, you should be allowed into the public forum. If it's on private property by private event, they ought to have the right to exclude you based on their own freedom of association. But that's different than supporting her candidacy, which I'm afraid I can't do. But uh, other than really talking about it in super chats when people press me on the subject, I don't feel compelled to weigh in. I'm not going to do, do a big video on it. I'm not going to do a show on it. I'm not going to make a big to-do about it. I, I, think, I think the election's going to come and go in a couple weeks, and it's going to be over. And uh, I think that's all I have to say about that. Um, it is 1256. We have four more minutes. I'm not going to try and read, uh, do any new video clip. I'm going to um, uh, read some more comments. Alex0393, well, after the pants are off, I'd have homicide, so we just add it to the top. Okay, I don't know what that means. Um, Pepper, 52435. I used to be against spanking. Not, I, I don't know. You know, there's, there's a lot of comments here that <laughs> seem to be off topic. Um, Scientologists are voting in Florida. That's why the Democratic Party made the f- take Florida over. I don't know where. Th- I'm, I'm looking for a comment that's on point here. Lauren Southern. What has she said that is unacceptable? All right, I'll answer that. Well, when she was on um, the Daily Stormer, uh, which is a neo-Nazi podcast it it just is Um, she said I salute you she said God bless you she said um, I'd love to come back for the full two-hour show Um, there was the the neo-nazi who was hosting the show made a Jewish joke about me I tell Jewish jokes about myself and I don't even mind Jewish jokes um, most of the time I tell them but when you're on an explicitly neo-nazi show and the neo-Nazi host makes a Jewish joke and you finish the punchline for him without pushing back in any way, that has a different context. So I think there were about four things. You can still find that appearance um, that she made on the neo-Nazi show online. And you can't go on, I mean, there, I mean, would I ever go on the Daily Stormer? Is there a possible way that someone who's not anti-Semitic could go on an anti-Semitic show? Well, obviously, yes if you're going to learn about them and report back, if you're going to speak truth to power, if you're going to debate them, of course. I don't think I would have the interest to do that here, but it's possible. That's not what Faith did. She went on that and expressed her unreserved support and had no dividing line between her and her hosts. I listened to the whole thing very carefully. At no point whatsoever does she indicate any discomfort with their motives, their mission, their actions at all. In fact, it was almost like she was finishing their sentences for them, and in the case of the Jewish joke, she was. I say again, I'm not against Jewish jokes, but when you're on a neo-Nazi show and the host makes a Jewish joke, it's got a different context than if you're just bantering. You're showing that you're down with the, the, and it it went went more extreme after that. There are some contexts in which you can refer to the the 14 words of white nationalism. But Faith went on a one-year racialist bender. She just did. Bad judgment. Bad, and just no one pulling her back. No one caring enough about her to pull her back. And then about a month ago, she snaps out of it and says, I'm gonna run for mayor in the most multi-ethnic city in Toronto. I'm gonna scrub my Twitter feed of anything racialist, and I'm gonna take as many selfies with visible (laughs) minorities as I can and just pretend the last year didn't happen. I don't think you can do that without having a moment of reflection and reconsideration and, and correction. Unless she thinks there's nothing that needs to be corrected. Um, and if, I guess what I'm talking about owning or disowning the past year. That's what I'm talking about. And I mean, that's in specific answer to your question um, about faith. Uh, One more super chat from Tamajit Chakraborty, are irregulars also sent to apartment buildings? Uh, By irregulars, I'm sure you mean illegal aliens. Um, I don't know if they're sent there, but of course there are refugees and refugee applicants and illegal immigrants who have apartment housing, who have houses, some of them are homeless shelters. Um, Yes, they're housed in a great many ways the reason I pointed out the hotels is because that's a particularly inappropriate way to warehouse families with kids, don't you think? Um, gre- uh, we're out of time. I see there's some some folks here who don't like my comments on Faith Goldie. That's fine. Um, I, as I've said to Faith, both publicly and privately, uh, her comments on open borders, migration, state-sponsored extreme multiculturalism, left-wingism, big governmentism, I agree with those. But I do not agree with her abiding of neo-Nazis. And she did on that broadcast, and then she went further down that road. And if she's come back from that road, she, I think, owes the public an explanation of why she went down it, if it was an error, to correct the error, and to restate clearly where she is today. Obviously, none of these racialist issues have been brought up by her in her campaign to be mayor of a multicultural, multiracial city. And I just know too much about what she did on that neo-Nazi podcast and what she did in the year that followed to be like, I think most Torontonians who don't know that backstory. So if you've just met Faith for the first time and see her on the campaign trail talking about crime and sanctuary cities and taxes, you say, yeah, right on. And if you see her fighting censorship, you say, yeah, right on. If that's all I knew about faith, I'd say, yeah, right on. But I know why I fired her a year ago and those reasons still persist today. I would fire her again today for those reasons, not because she's against crime or against sanctuary cities. I am too. That's not why we fired her. Anyways, this question always comes up on uh, Super Chat and I suppose I'll answer them. At least until the campaign's over, and then maybe the questions will stop. I hope that Faith does uh, reconsider what she said a year ago and explain to the public uh, if she has had second thoughts, but so far she's not done so. Folks, it's already 1.02. We've gone two minutes late. That's it for me until our 8 p.m. show tonight, 8 p.m. Eastern time. Until then, on behalf of all of us here at Rebel World Headquarters, goodbye and keep fighting for freedom.